0: Hello and welcome to the No Easy Way Out podcast. My name is Tony Nash and we are coming to you as always from the armory in beautiful downtown Owasso, Michigan, home to my company, AZ Business Solutions, where we help grow your brand from A to Z. Now I'm joined today by a longtime friend and colleague, Mr. John Vondoloski. John, thanks for being on the show today. My pleasure. Now I met John probably about, I'd say what, about 15 years ago or so probably around 2000, 20 maybe ago. 20 years. Yeah. I mean, I was probably a couple years out of high school. So we were probably 18, 20 years ago. And uh, he had started coming to our church. I had seen him around and I was an intern at the church at the time. And I had a rather unusual roommate and his tenure was almost up. They asked me if I wanted to re-up a year. They had another guy in mind to move in with me. And so my introduction to John Vondo was not just, hey, how are you doing? But hey, let's live together. We yes. don't really know each other that well. And uh, we became fast friends, but we are about polar opposites. I mean, personality, the way we go about our day, we are very opposite people, but it just seemed to work. We, we had a pretty good friendship, but uh, I remember uh, those days, John was just very quiet. He was calculated. Uh, the words you would say were always thought out as opposed to me. I just kind of thought whatever came to my mind. But I remember I'd get up in the morning. John would always be an early riser, 5 a.m., 6 a.m. He's up cooking eggs while I'm trying to sleep. And then he'd go sit in a corner on the floor with a blanket, and he'd open a book. And I'd leave for work around 7, 8. John's in the corner with a blanket, cup of coffee, reading a book. And I'd come back at 4 or 5 o'clock at night, and sure enough, John's sitting there in the corner with a blanket and a cup of coffee, reading the book. He'd get through a book or two every day. John was a studier. He liked, he loved sitting in the classroom and learning, uh, which was another opposite of mine. Uh, he loved to study, which was another opposite of mine. <laughs> I was more of like, just give me the, the cliff notes and let's move on here. But uh, we had some really good times together. We had some good times. We got to know each other very well. And really, we became great friends uh, in each other's weddings. John's one of my best friends now. And uh, so <clears throat> today, John is now living in Oregon. He's here just for, he's been here for a couple weeks. I just got off a trip to Africa. We'll talk more about that in just a little bit. But uh, I wanted to give our audience a chance to get to know you a little bit. For those of you who don't know the man, the myth, John Vondoloski, let's give them an opportunity to get to know a little bit about you. So we have a little personality profile that we like to do called This or That. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. All right. These are tough questions. the hard-hitting questions that everyone's wondering about. Uh, All right, so I'm going to give you two choices, and you just tell me which one fits John Vondo. All right, Mac or PC? Mac. Phone call or text? Text. Good book or a good movie?
1: Uh, Good movie.
0: That's a surprising one.
1: Yeah, it depends. If it's like a movie that was come from a book, I'd rather watch the movie. Yeah. But as far as book, yes. Yeah, He's he's
0: a big reader. Save or spend? Save. Time or money? Both. <laughs> if you could only have one. Probably time. Yeah. Facebook or Instagram?
1: Uh, Facebook. I never used Instagram. Ne- yeah. Never looked at it.
0: <laughs> Winter or summer? Fall. Yeah. that's a, If you're a Michigan person, everybody loves fall. Um, so you're a big outdoors guy. So fishing or hunting, which do you prefer?
1: Hmm. Both. (laughs)
0: He's just not going to give us definitive answers today. Well, I like balance. Yeah. You know,
1: but when I was growing up, it was more fishing. The older I get, it's more hunting. Yeah. Um. Yeah, my dad was my fishing partner, so he's passed, so we don't fish as much. Nearly as much, but taking the kids. Yeah, a little bit of both.
0: And you have a few kids. We'll talk about that in a while. All right, city life or country life? Country. All right, this last one is tough, and this is uh, important to make sure you answer this properly because you have people on both sides that are going to take this yes. one way or the other. But Oregon Ducks or Michigan Wolverines? Uh, go blue. Go blue. I love it. You know, you can leave the hometown, the home state, but you can't You can't go away from the blue.
1: I wear my uh, khakis, my black rim glasses, my <laughs> Michigan hat, and yeah. have been called Jim Harbaugh on multiple occasions <laughs> from Oregon people. I can so. see it. Yes,
0: I can see it. <laughs> well, hopefully we have a good season this year. Yes. Hopefully we have a good season this year. All right. So, what do you what uh, What is John Vandalowski up to these days? What do you guys What are you doing right now?
1: Uh, raising my children is probably the biggest uh, piece huh. of the equation. Tell have, our
0: audience how many kids you have, John.
1: I have twelve children. Yes, they're all mine. A dozen. Yes, they're all my wife's. <laughs> um, and so, one yeah, set of twins in there. We like to say that every day is a Saturday at our house. <laughs> and uh yeah i'm a, a director of a charter school uh elder in my church and um do a little bit of uh, training pastors internationally in africa mm-hmm. and yeah those are kind of my
0: you just got back from a trip to africa right
1: i did yes
0: is uh you took jessica with you that's your wife
1: yeah was the uh. first time she's gone and uh helps you become grateful when you see that uh this person lives in a hut with a dirt floor, um, not even as big as this office, and, you know, helps you realize, wow, they live here every day. Yeah. How do they do that?
0: And they're grateful. Yeah, and they have an
1: <laughs> excellent spirit, a good attitude. And,
0: yeah. Yeah. So you go over there, and you work with pastors that are starting churches or in churches already, and you kind of train them on yeah. doctrine and how to study, how to prepare sermons, that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, internationally, um, they say about 85% of pastors have no formal training, yeah. so they don't have access to it. And uh, so providing that resource to them helps them um, give them the tools they need to succeed, and so yeah. I enjoy that. Whereas in the States, yeah. it's a highly competitive, highly uh, expensive process Monetized. to go to, yeah, <laughs> go to college or seminary. And, and so, yeah, just trying to keep provide that access that they wouldn't have normally have access to
0: right so how many times a year do you get to go to africa
1: i usually shoot for two yeah um my position allows me that flexibility now and um i usually usually don't miss once a year and so we try to uh, take different materials and have them translated and printed and taken over there to provide resources that they can't provide on their own. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it's very encouraging, rewarding. Uh, this time we took my wife, and so she had some meetings with the ladies while I was working with the men and uh, really had a good time. You know, it's it's a very different. Uh, you know, normally a normal meeting, you will be there for five hours straight, you know, teaching. Wow. And, so, and they love it and they're they got nothing else to do all day. So <laughs>
0: Anybody falling down from the third floor balcony?
1: Uh no. No. They uh <laughs> it's amazing to see little kids even in a different service will sit there for 3 hours without moving. Wow. And yeah, I'm thinking, man, my kids are like popcorn. Yeah. After about 10 minutes they're bouncing. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's a it's a different part of the world that helps yeah. give perspective.
0: Well, as long as I've known John, he's always enjoyed not just learning, but he, he enjoys teaching. Uh, as I mentioned, he's is a very prepared person. He likes to study things, and so I think that's one of your gifts. From my perspective, you have a, definitely a gift of teaching and breaking things down, simplifying it, and making it understandable. So that's neat that you get to do that, uh, you know, in your home state, but also um, uh, internationally or abroad. So let's talk a little bit about your journey. You know, we 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 know you're in Oregon now. So kind of talk about what where you started and how you ended up in Oregon
1: uh yeah I had a mentor uh older retired pastor from Oklahoma and would just talk to him periodically when I had challenges in life that I was facing and uh I had just resigned a position and had called him and was talking to him and he said hey would you consider moving to Oregon and I thought I, yeah I don't." and you care. were living in Michigan at that living time in Michigan so. and uh yeah, when I got off the phone, my wife is very much, uh, Mecca for her is Owasso. <laughs> yes. Um You know, Shiawassee County's close, but, you know, if we could really be in Owasso, that would be Within better. 10 minutes of mom and dad. Yes. Uh, next door would be preferred. <laughs> um, and so I got off the phone, and she kind of picked up on half of the conversation, and she said, Where does Pastor Keener live? And I said, Oklahoma. And she said, Well, that's too far. And uh, Let me one-up you. <laughs> i said well actually he was talking about oregon and she said uh well i'll take oklahoma (laughs) and uh so that just kind of fell into place very quickly in a matter of a few weeks uh we were moving to oregon uh january 1st 2005
0: how many kids did you have at that time
1: I don't remember. <laughs> Tough to uh, tell. Probably about three, I believe. Okay. Uh, I think our fourth was born November of 2005.
0: So that move across the country wasn't quite as drastic no. as the next one, which we'll talk about in a second. But yeah. you were born and raised here in Shiawassee County, yep, Corona, to Corona High School, class of 95. Yeah. Then you went to Central Michigan University, Yeah. Chippewas, and you actually played a little baseball there on the team for a yeah. little while. and. Studied finance. Yes, finance. So financial planning. Financial planning, and then uh, later on, recognized that you wouldn't want to do that. What made you realize that wasn't something you wanted to go into?
1: It all kind of came to uh, a head. Um, There was a couple seminal points, kind of my junior year, um, where I was just unhappy, looking for happiness, and really just searching, and realizing that everything I did was. Uh, relatively successful but it wasn't satisfying yeah and i found it empty hunting fishing sports you know just a variety of things all the things you loved and the more success i had the less happy i was and there was just a seminal moment where i i remember coming back from class just very miserable and just said i got down on my knees and just said god i am trying to be happy and everything I do, I just seem to become more miserable. Yeah. And so whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And I don't know what you want me to do. I know you want me to read my Bible and go to church, so I'm going to start there. And so that really was the, a significant turning point. <clears throat> and so I just, my hobby became reading the Bible and going to church and being involved there. It's good and, hobby. uh Then I heard about uh, churches that started in Corona around that time and that they had a Bible institute. And I thought, man, that's exactly what I need. And so I started commuting back, kind of my junior, senior year of college. And the more classes I took and, you know, fellowshipping with other men who were also studying. That's when I met you. Mm -hmm. um, You're welcome. Really, yes, thank you for that. (laughs) Really just... um, scratched the itch and really just had a a joy um, that was unspeakable full of glory (laughs) and uh, just really realized this is the direction and so then as I was approaching graduation 99 the economy was running along marvelously and so there was a lot of job opportunities and so I was sifting through I had three specific offers that were kind of all over the state of Michigan and so I was trying to figure out which direction to go, but I was involved in a church in Mount Pleasant, and I was doing the Bible Institute in Corona, and I was trying to geographically in my mind resolve that equation, and was not able to, and just began to pray and seek God's face of, what do you want me to do? And, and so through that, realized that I needed to pursue ministry, and um, ended up not taking any of the three jobs, and <laughs> decided the interning at a local church in Corona for free for free with a little college the, or institute yeah. tuition. <laughs> and, uh, they might provide an apartment with a, you know, stellar roommate. Yes, That was
0: probably what sweetened the that, pot. The most. That was
1: the fringe benefit that put yeah. it over the top. Yeah. And I understand. Yes. So yeah, that <laughs> launched me in that direction, um, for the next several years. And, yeah.
0: yeah. And then you and I interned at the church together for a year and, uh, I had a good time with that. Most of the time, we, yeah. had, we had to clean the church every week. Yeah, that was wasn't a good time. that wasn't one of the fun parts of the internship. Neither one
1: of us picked up that skill set. Yeah, we uh, uh,
0: remember one time one of our duties was mowing the lawn, yeah. and uh, we had this old 1949 Ford tractor. Yeah. And right on the front, on the top of the hood, there was a cap, which I thought was the gas cap. Yeah. So John this. had asked me. He said, "I'm going to mow the lawn. when you fill up the gas?" And so I went and filled was it up. 22 years old, I think. 20. Twenty-one. I was probably actually younger, twenty years old, and I filled up the, uh, pulled off the, what was the radiator cap, and filled it with gasoline.
1: Not a good strategy.
0: Yeah, that's not good in a combustible engine. And, I remember
1: uh, driving the tractor, smelling gas, <laughs> and my mind was was spinning of where is this gas coming from? And then I looked at the hood and saw the cap. I thought about Tony, and I could. <laughs> what see... What do I know about Tony? I could see out of the overflow out of the radiator it was spewing out fluid which i quickly deduced was gas and so i just immediately abandoned off, ship jumped off the tractor before it exploded uh which didn't happen but i slowly came back shut the key off and then backed away to a safe distance and <laughs> yeah that's a good time that's just a
0: snapshot of what our relationship was. it was like.
1: interesting <laughs> explaining that to lloyd miller and sons uh, yeah. of how <laughs> this happened and uh, tractor
0: repair like what did you do again yeah yeah, (laughs) Yeah. that was a good time yeah so yeah i try to stay away from small engines even to this day or large engines of any kind so so then we did that you you know worked on stuff you pastored a church uh in northern michigan for a little while and uh then you like you said you moved to oregon and so when you were there you went there and you pastored a church Mm -hmm. um but uh You also were involved in starting a charter school. So tell our audience a little bit, and that's what we're really going to focus on today because your charter schools have done extremely well. You've actually been involved in two in the state of Oregon. So give our audience kind of how that came about and what you did there.
1: So we were uh, homeschooling our children, and so we had, I don't know, at that point, five, six, seven kids. Who can keep track. And my wife could keep track pretty well as... (laughs) um, she was getting overloaded with the work of uh, organizing it and planning it and implementing it every day. And, of course, I was very sensitive to that sure, and very sure. in tune to her. And uh, That's your gift also, yes, sensitivity. Yes. And so she was needing more involvement from me. And so, of course, if I'm going to get involved in something, <clears throat> we've, we've got to really think through this. And I realized, hey, I could sit here and help my wife, but I could just start a school and have them help my wife, and that would be a lot easier. <laughs> um, and so I met some people from California who I heard about a charter school, had no idea what it was, and kind of talked to them about what they were doing and got some ideas and kind of simmered on that for about a year and then went back to visit the same people, and, and I was asking them about it. I thought, oh, when I see them, I going to ask them and we were just sitting at lunch and at a conference and i asked him specifically about the school they were part of and he said well actually that guy right there teaches at a school like that it's a charter school that works with homeschool families yeah and i said okay and so i started talking to him and he said well actually the lady who started this school moved to oregon and she helps people start charter schools i can just give you her contact information and you can (laughs) look her up so that sounds good And so I contacted her, Patty Wills, and said, hey, I met this person, a teacher, and he gave me your number. And she said, well, actually, there's a a federal grant for charter schools uh, that's due in about 10 days. If you want me to apply for that, I would be willing to submit the application. And so just kind of said, all right, well, that was kind of my litmus test. If we get the grant, we'll do it. If not, probably not. And uh, we got the grant for a half a million dollars. And
0: and now you're like, uh-oh, now I have yeah, to do this. Now
1: I am, <laughs> I am knee-deep in it. So that was kind of how it started.
0: Yeah. So how did it go? I mean, obviously you started from, you didn't have a background in that. You'd yeah. met somebody who had done it. There had really never been anything like that in the state. Uh, Of Oregon, So how did it go? What was the reception like?
1: So I had my brother had been a principal for a couple different schools and had experience in it. And so I was pastoring full-time, and so I asked him if he'd be interested in coming out and doing this, and he agreed. And so we just kind of dove into it, and we had Patty helping us kind of holding our hand a little bit or a lot. And, um, you know, I we set a goal of 200 kids that was kind of our target Mm -hmm. if we could be uh, viable and sustainable if we had 200 kids and it just exploded Uh, the first year we finished with 350 and by the third year we were at 900 and now it's at a thousand it's capped at a thousand and just rolling along and so it was just yeah never never in a million years dreamed of that wasn't our aspiration but it just kind of
0: just kind of worked out yeah good
1: product and good people and yeah soon
0: so then so then you did that for a couple years pastor the church and then kind of just felt led that it was time to come home it could have been partially because you know the homing beacon was going off the wife needed to feel recharge recharge with the family so you came back home to michigan for about three years
1: yeah three years
0: and uh during that time you know kind of just we're looking for things, uh, had to do a couple of jobs that weren't so fun just to kind of... Yeah,
1: scraping some floors, yeah. you know. Did
0: some side hustles and did yeah. some did some stuff and some substitute teaching and, and then just realized that there was an, another opportunity in Oregon. So not once are we going to move our family literally across the country, yeah. but let's do it again. Yeah. What was that like when you told your wife, hey, we're going back to the Oregon Trail?
1: Uh, that was interesting. Uh, stage of life um when we left Oregon I was kind of sensing that I needed to but I had just bought a house and so I was kind of very happy had a nice place uh plenty of land of right on the side a of a mountain yeah yeah nice view of the river and uh had the school going well and the church and so I was just trying to you know live life but um Several friends and people I talked to kind of planted some seeds, and and so I thought, well, you know, I guess whatever God wants me to do, that's what I'll do. And so I kind of thought, well, I got this house I just bought, and there's I can't carry that living in Michigan, and so he'd have to sell my house. And so I felt like I had a pretty good buffer there of safety. And um, so we talked about it, and I agreed, well, I'll just, you know, maybe I'll sell my house, and if it sells, then, you know, that opens the door Mm -hmm. and so i didn't ever listed the house i actually only talked to one person i talked to my neighbor which i only had two and he was a 96 year old guy out chopping wood and i would walk down and talk to him and and so i just said yeah we're kind of thinking about maybe moving back to michigan and and we just had a brief conversation and then a couple days later my wife went to run to the store to get some spaghetti sauce and she come back all bubbly and said, hey, I think I sold her house. Said, what do you mean you sold her house? She said, well, the other neighbor stopped me in the driveway and heard from Russ, my neighbor, that we might be interested in selling. And he said, I'll give you a full price cash offer. And so wow. I was kind of blown away. And, Confirmation. and so they never even looked at the house. They just said, yep, what's your price? Wow. And so I gave him the number and he said well let me cut you a check for what the equity is and then let me move some funds and i'll pay pay the rest off and so i said oh i guess we're moving back to michigan <laughs> and so yeah that was kind of a transition and kind of anticipated maybe getting more involved in missions and you know just kind of working through life and what we're going to do and and working out jobs to provide for my family and so we had equity from the house but Bought a house, the housing market was kind of at the bottom here in Michigan, so yeah. bought a, a nice house with a couple acres for like $30,000, and remodeled it, and, and went through that, and just was never able to find gainful employment that was yeah. long-term, and really got to a place where financially, I tried to avoid being financially strapped, but was really, to be honest, just broke.
0: Uh well, with a dozen kids, that's not, that's not yeah, uh, hard to do.
1: Yeah, I was uh, just doing side jobs and trying to pay. I didn't have a mortgage, didn't have a car payment, but just trying to survive. And so in that financial position, it's, it's real easy to hear God's voice telling you what to do. And, yeah. and so in the midst of that, I had a school out in Oregon call me and said, hey, we visited the school you started in Medford. We would like you to start one of those here. Would you consider moving to Oregon?
0: And that was in and Lowell?
1: in lowell oregon eugene area and so in my mind i thought anywhere in the world but oregon i just you know no offense to the ducks but yeah. this wasn't my thing and and so lo and behold uh, we came to visit my wife came to visit and it became very evident that this is what we needed to do so yeah. we moved out there hit the ground running and started another school and And it wasn't long, and we had some more people interested. wanted to open another campus, and so... So you have
0: two campuses now, and what's the enrollment like, both schools combined?
1: uh, Right now, it's at 400. We went through some of what we might talk about today with hiring. I had a principal that kind of left the reservation and took 400 kids with her, and so that was... uh, Had to recover from that a little bit. Life lesson. Yeah. And so, yeah, just kind of fall forward.
0: Well, you know, so really, honestly, I mean, you've had unprecedented success in this field in Oregon because no one had ever done it before, and I know there's probably a lot of things that went into, uh, I know there's a lot of things that went into getting it to where it is and and learning the process and understanding how the grants work and understanding how to organize and what kind of a staff you're going to have, all that stuff, Um, but uh, what would you say are, you know, what what has been the key factor to it really doing so well?
1: Uh, very clearly it is just hiring the right people, uh, that over and above anything else. Um, you know, having a clear vision and mission is important and having a, a need that you're, um, filling is important, but really the key to our school over others that have started since then is just hiring the right people.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I know, you know, I have a background in hotels and when i went to new york i moved to new york the other side of the coast the other coast and um, had to run a hotel with no experience just yeah. hey you're going to run a hotel friday i left and i was like one of the associate pastors at a you know mid-sized church and then on monday i'm the general manager of this big hotel and so i decided to get on the phone i called 10 the top 10 comfort inns which was the brand i was managing I called the top 10 hotels ranked in my brand and I came up with a list of questions and asked the the managers like, hey, w- what did you do to become a platinum award winning, you know, top 10 hotel? And they all said a lot of different things. But one thing that was pretty consistent throughout all of them is they said, you got to have the right people. Yeah. And so I committed my time. I had 21 employees when I started. I got rid of 13 of them, which meant I was cleaning a lot of rooms. I was... Checking a lot of people in, taking a lot of reservations, fixing maintenance, I mean all kinds of stuff until I filled it. But I was committed that I'm gonna get the right people. Yeah. And of course, the hotel just had unbelievable success. At one mm-hmm. point we were the number one uh comfort inn in New York State. And so I would also attribute that to uh having the right people. Yeah. You know, and, and and being extremely meticulous about getting those people. I mean everybody yeah. I think would agree, yeah, you gotta have good people. But there's a process. They don't just show up at your door. And if they do, if you don't have a good system in place, they're not going to work for you or v- work for you for very long yeah. if they recognize that you don't have some sort of a system to attract other good talent. Because I also think one of the biggest ways to frustrate good employees is by keeping bad employees employed because your good people will start to lose motivation. Yeah, And so uh, I have, even in my business today, and I know some of you do, I've committed myself to... Always surrounding myself with good, solid people, and there's a lot that goes into that. But I want to talk a little bit about, you know, I think, like I said, everyone would agree that having good people um, is a good thing. But one of the things I hear in Mid Michigan a lot, where we're at, is the talent pool is low. Mm-hmm. I can't find good people. I can't keep good people. And I and I recognize like certain jobs are harder. I mean, when you're paying somebody minimum wage, yeah. it's going to be hard. If you're paying minimum wage today. It's going to be hard no matter what. So I'd say don't pay minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Just don't.
1: Yeah, it's a very tight labor market. Yeah, so. don't.
0: Everyone has a job right now. So you know, if if what's cut, you know, don't pay minimum wage. Pay fifty cents more. Pay a dollar more. It will be worth it. I'm telling yeah. you, the cost of turnover is. I don't know about every industry, but I know in the hospitality industry, restaurants, hotels, the cost of turnover, whether it's a server, mm-hmm. a housekeeper, whatever, it's about twenty five hundred bucks. So if you're losing. 10 employees a year Mm -hmm. that's $25,000 off your bottom line because you just can't keep good people and that's only
1: the part that you're monetizing there's a lot of culture things that also you lose momentum in and for
0: sure for sure so you know I think I want to kind of from our experience talk about some of the the pitfalls of keeping bad people employed We'll, Mm -hmm. we'll talk in a second about what are the advantages I mean I think the advantages of having good people are pretty clear although I think there's some we should spell out but Let's talk about some of the clear disadvantages mm-hmm. of keeping good people uh, on board. I think I mentioned the first one is the cost of turnover. I mean, it is expensive. Not only does it cost money to now I got to recruit again, now I got to yeah. take my time to interview again, and you got to interview twenty people to find one good one if you're lucky. Um, and then I got to now I got to orientation, training, develop. I got to go through all that all over again, and it takes at least. 30 days minimum to get somebody performing back to the level that the last employee you lost was, even if that was a bad employee. So like you said, the loss of momentum, the loss of <clears throat> uh, culture in the company, and, uh, and then the, the loss of dollars. You know, People say, I can't afford to pay minimum wage, and I would say you can't afford to have all this turnover. So if that's yeah. your problem, maybe you, should, um, maybe you should look at that. But what do you think are some of the other clear disadvantages of keeping bad people employed?
1: Yeah, the, I think the morale and the, you know, everybody's always kind of aware of however their people are doing. And um, personally, I find it very hard to, um, I use the term, not renew people's contract yeah. instead of uh, firing them. I find that very hard to fire someone, even though it's really obvious. Yeah, You know, um, because I...
0: Well, the state labor boards have made that extremely difficult.
1: Yeah, and, you know, teachers' unions and contracts and, you know, all of the things that are out there. um, But, you know, at the end of the day, it's not even doing... I, I think one of the things that was a tipping point for me in getting rid of people is that realizing that legitimately it's not doing them a service. Right. Especially if they're not in the right job. Yeah. That you're really, if you're not giving them the necessary feedback, and you know, and if you're giving them the right feedback and it's still not turning the corner, it's just not a good fit.
2: Absolutely,
0: and
1: they're not going to be successful or happy. Yeah, and the business and your company's not going to be successful or happy. Right, and you know, it's just like you know, relationships. It's not you, it's me, and it's right, just uncomfortable. Right. But right, at the end of the day. You it's got to be make, done.
0: Yeah. Well, let me just say this. If you have fired somebody and they were shocked, yeah. you didn't do something right. Yeah. Like, number one, I always want to know when I fire somebody, and I fired a lot of people in my yeah. day. I want to know that I gave them every opportunity to win. And, and see, so that's,
1: that was another, you know, just a personal um, struggle I had because I avoid where we're different is I avoid conflict by nature. Yeah. And so I didn't like to do uh, evaluations. Yeah. I just, like, you know, very prideful. Why don't you just do the job right? And kind <laughs> What's of wrong with High you? expectations. Yeah. And and then when they didn't perform, and then my frustration level rises. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, it fed into not wanting to terminate someone because I knew the process. I hadn't yeah. done what I needed yeah. to do. And I had a, a, a friend and a mentor say to me one time, you know, what you just said is it should never be a surprise when someone gets terminated. Right and i was talking about a different employee that i wanted to get rid of and i knew it would be a surprise and it was my fault and so it that forced me into evaluations yeah and making them really effective and helpful and then that made it significantly easier to terminate someone because like i said you got to the point where you knew this is not a good fit for them right this is if they do this for the rest of their life they're going to be miserable the yeah. people around them are going to be miserable and so we just need to agree that this isn't a good fit and and then I could with good faith try to say hey I'll give you a good recommendation for yeah. a different type of position and it's not personal even though it feels very personal it feels personal at the time. yeah
0: yeah i mean you'd love to think that every time you do it everyone's going to leave happy but it yeah. you know a lot of times people are it's hurt rejection. feelings and yeah it's absolutely rejection. but um you know I I believe strongly in evaluations. I actually call them appraisals, yeah. staff appraisals. Let somebody know their value. This is what you're worth to the company. And if you're performing well, you're going to make more money. And yeah. you're going to get better hours and you're going to get better shifts, whatever. You're going to have some perks.
1: It's a win-win but, if you do it well. Absolutely. Because it reduces frustration and clarifies what they yeah. need to do to win.
0: Yeah. And and the other thing is I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I have I purpose to run all my employees through three filters and that is uh are they if i have an employee that's not performing i ask myself are they incompetent
2: mm-hmm.
0: are they do they not care or do they not understand so to me if they're incompetent and they don't care they're just yeah. apathetic that's really their issue like yeah. i can't you know, you can train certain things but competency is either have it or you don't um you know, if they don't care, they're apathetic, that's on them. Like I'm not going to be able to work up enough mojo for them to care. But if they don't understand, if mm-hmm. I haven't been clear in my expectations, their job description, what I need them to be doing, if I haven't showed them what winning looks like, then that's on me. Yeah. So if I have an employee that cares about me and my organization, well, and really and that if they're competent, that those are those are yeah. winning qualities. That's someone worth committing to.
1: And really if your recruiting process is effective, you should have vetted that. It's really my fault sure. if I brought in somebody who's incompetent. Absolutely, if I didn't vet that. Absolutely, as, you know, maintenance is always easier than repair. Mm-hmm. I always think to myself, it's easier to put clean water into the pool and put dirty water in, and then try to clean the thing. Yeah. And so, if you start with a good, um, the right person, then
0: absolutely. And what I have recognized because I am so thorough with my my recruiting process and my selection process that nine times out of ten, if someone's not performing, it's because they don't understand. Yeah. Because I'm not bringing incompetent, apathetic people right. into my culture and into my environment. So typically, the problem is me. That's not always the case. Sometimes yeah. people can – they've learned the art of the interview and they, yeah. can, they can blow smoke and, and it's good smoke and you inhale it and you just find yourself in a position and then you gotta, you got to get rid of them. Yeah. But um, – so certainly, I mean, uh, having bad people around does all things to – all sorts of things to the culture – the cost of it, the consistency of your product, you know, one uh, employee says this, the other employee says that. The customers don't have the same experience. If you're in a restaurant, they come and they get one server that's fantastic. They come yeah. the next time you get a server that's bad, so there's no consistency. It, it f- affects the reputation of your business. I mean, but to me, probably the most, maybe annoying, it's it's maybe not even the most costly, but the most annoying part of having bad employees is is it necessitates me you have to be a micromanager yeah. where I have to day by day spell it out, spell it out, spell it out because you can't function without somebody telling you exactly what to do. And I always tell my employees, if I have to micromanage you, you're going to be gone because I'm not a micromanager, yeah. nor do I want to. It's more work than it needs to be. Yeah. I like to spend a lot of time on the front, finding good people, training them, developing them, and then say, all right, you got the tools, now go. Go yeah. do it put your own kind of flair to it i just care about the result not necessarily your process you know as long as you're not doing anything grossly against our you know company policies and that seemed to work very well for me in the hospitality industry
1: yeah and i think another negative that's hard to quantify is when you have people who are disgruntled you don't you find yourself not wanting to go to work yeah I don't want to go deal with the stress.
0: Yeah. Is that person today going to be there? Yeah. Yeah,
1: and just on everybody in the organization, there's a elephant in the room that's not being addressed, yeah. and everybody's walking on eggshells around them to try to enjoy the day and be productive, and this right. one person is just continuously- Killing the vibe. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, no question about it. And then it's amazing, once you remove that person, yeah. the amazing difference, just in the the atmosphere and everything yeah so and i think your good employees appreciate it when they see you take the leadership
1: i think that's why you lose good employees right is they realize you're not dealing with this exactly i don't want to come to work every day and have to deal with the obvious
0: for someone who doesn't even care Yeah. yeah and so you know obviously if you're going to inspire and lead people they have to be able to see that you have leadership and so they if they can recognize something in someone and they don't think you recognize it, it really frustrates yeah. them. So I think there's probably a million disadvantages. Uh, those are some of the ones that just stand out to me. But if you're listening today and you have some bad employees, we've already, you've, if you're listening, you've already thought about someone in your head. Oh, that's so-and-so. I have that person. You got to get rid of them. You have to get rid of them. There's a great book by Jack Welsh called Winning. Yeah. He was voted uh, manager, uh, general manager of the century. Yeah. And he worked for General Electric, and he had some great... Uh, Actually, I
1: listened to that audio book was, ironically, was one of the tipping points for me to realize. I remember him talking about candor. Yep. And that you just need to be candid and clear with people. Yep and that's spends a got lot of time on that the concept of it's not good for them either yeah absolutely
0: you know? and so he would he he went by the 10 80 uh 10 rule or 10 70 20 yeah every year the top 10 percent of his performing employees would get a raise the middle 70 would have job security and keep their job but be given here's how you get to the top 10 yeah the bottom 20 he he'd just get rid of them yeah every year i get rid of the bottom 20 and that created a culture of hard work and people wanting to be there and wanting to work for your company. And listen, uh, make your organization a desirable place to work. You know, And you do that by everybody likes to be around good, solid people. Everybody likes to win. Everybody likes to win. So you put people in a room of winners, it helps the culture. So on the contrary, though, the benefits of having a good employee are exponential as well. And so I want to talk a little bit just for a second here about some of the benefits you've noticed, you know, and we could just say everything the opposite of what we just said, but there are other things that really will benefit you as a, as an operator, benefit your company as a whole, um, benefit your top line, benefit your bottom line. There's all kinds of things, but what are some of the things you've really said? Here's why having good people has made all the difference.
1: Um, probably because you hire people who do things better than you can do them. Right. That's that's really, I think a some leaders
0: are intimidated by that. They yeah. don't want people to be, to be better than them. Yeah. And that's a that, listen. If you're listening, that's that's a pitfall. That's a trap. Yeah. You want people that are better than you at some things.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, the baseline of staffing your weaknesses. Right. If I was good, you have to be able to identify, in a leadership position, what can only I do. Right. And what is, what is it that I do that is key to the organization? What exactly. I realized in our organization is hire the right people. Right. If I can't do that, then everything else is going to cascade down from there. Right. And I have to really, and then the training and the evaluation, only I can do that. And even though it's uncomfortable and I don't maybe like it, I have to yeah. really commit to that process.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think, too, you know, I mean, obviously a good employee... Is typically going to stay longer, especially yeah. if you're creating the right kind of culture. Um, you're going to have higher customer satisfaction and all of those things, uh, a better product. Mm-hmm. They're going to be innovative and bring new ideas. And yeah. I am I, very big. I and mean, when you have good people and trusting them with, hey, here's some, I'm thinking, give me your thoughts. Let's hear what you, you know, and letting people run with an idea. And even... You, know, you never want to let somebody fail, but allowing them to try something and see it not work, and it's all part of the learning process.
1: Well, I always see that leadership is helping put people to get them wins, mm-hmm. helping them win, mm-hmm. and and seeing things that maybe they don't even realize they have in themselves, but maybe they do, yeah. and, and putting them in that opportunity.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably one of the things both of us learned very well during our internship from our pastor at that time. Yeah. He would always say, give other people a win. And that yeah. was probably one of his greatest leadership qualities, is he understood uh, especially at that time, the process of giving other people a win and letting them uh, be a part of something bigger than them and then giving them the credit, let them yeah. have it. But I think, too, uh, you know, obviously good people are easier to manage. Yeah, like you said, when you walk into the door and you just know people are generally happy to be there, mm-hmm. they're not going to hit you with a bunch of complaints off the bat. They're actually becoming complaint resolution specialists themselves. They're dealing with it. They're having yeah. adult conversations as colleagues, not as coworkers. Uh, and so to me, uh, you need to you need to commit. If you're a manager, if you're an entrepreneur that has employees, if you're a business owner, small or large, if you are involved in the process of bringing people together, you need to commit yourself to finding the right people. Mm-hmm. So you have to determine what that right person looks like. Yeah. You need to take the time and say, all right, what is my ideal employee? And write that out and figure out what that is and then you got to go find it. They're right. out there. They're out there. Yeah. And you might have to do 100 interviews to find it. But yeah. and it's laborious and it's boring sometimes and but but it's worth it.
1: It's it's better to not hire someone than to hire the wrong person. Absolutely. I I liken it to marriage is you know um finding the right person. You know, one of the best advice in marriage I've had is when I was single is is don't marry the one you can live with. Marry the one you can't live without. Yeah. Don't tolerate and make concessions because you get one person for life that you're going to be yoked to. And the cost of, you know, divorce and and all the problems, you know. Especially once you have kids in the mix. Yeah. I mean, it's very, you know, just unhealthy. And so I think that, you know, I would encourage everyone to marry up. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Know? And I think that same concept applies, which I did very well in um by the way she did um, she
0: grew up with john's wife
1: and i think the same thing as a concept when it comes to recruiting and hiring is i'm always looking for the shooting star yeah the rising star maybe not the shooting star um but where i if i have multiple applications and different people who are good people um i never find myself taking the safe pick that has a high floor yeah I would much rather hire people who could take my job someday Yeah. and who have potential. If you think of it like a general manager in sports, they're not looking to get somebody who, what their past performance is their ceiling. Right? They, they want to find the riser yeah. who is going to peak and that they get to enjoy their prime years. Um, and so I always look for somebody that I think, you know, this person could take my job someday and I'm okay with that. Yeah. And... You know, always to be looking for the the um, just that has that skill set, and I, I think that's a huge piece to
0: recruiting for for sure. And I think that people get hung up on the process. Yeah, you know, I've had days where I've literally done eighteen interviews in a day or twenty interviews in yeah. a day. I actually just was impl- uh, contracted to go hire. Uh, for a restaurant in syracuse new york and i had three days and in that three days i set up 110 interviews mm-hmm. in three days i would highly recommend don't do that yeah right. <laughs> because by day two by the end of day one i'm like just trying to go through the motions and yep. and i'm not you know hearing but we'll talk about the, yep. the recruiting process in a second but i want i want to first yeah, we're going to talk about the recruiting process right now, actually. I, I want to talk about like what kind of process you use to actually find good people. One of the things I hear from my clients all the time is, where do I find good people? And I think it's different about uh, different industries or the pay grade that you're looking for, if you're looking for upper-level employees, if you're looking for salaried employees versus hourly employees. But what kind of uh, systems have you used to recruit and find, find people?
1: Um, well, one, just to avoid what you talked about, the three days and 100 people, because that usually 5 <laughs> minutes into an interview I know that exactly. I'm not going to hire this person. Exactly. So we use a staffing agency who does the initial recruiting and they do a first interview we call the smell test mm-hmm. and they know what I'm looking for and what I like and and so they filter 90%. Yeah. And sometimes I'll even say to them, they'll, well, "I'll I'll do have an interview and I'll, I'll call them and say, "Why why am I in not to be obnoxious or arrogant, but why am I interviewing this person? Right. You, you know. Right. Don't, for the sake of wanting to give me some candidates, give me bad candidates that you know I'm not going to hire. Right. That's why I'm it's paying you to do this. And so when they filter, and, they, and they'll, say, oh, they'll ask some questions, clarifying, okay, what are you looking for in this? And, you know, I, one of the, the litmus tests that I use as far as teachers is, would you want them teaching your children? Right. Would you be enthused? If you found out this was your teacher, would you want to come to this school? Right. And if you wouldn't, then I'm not hiring them. And right. so that's what I use for myself. Would I want this person teaching my kids? Yeah. And because I have 12 in almost every grade, they probably are going to. <laughs> right. And that's a good just litmus test yeah. of, yes, I would love for my kid to, to learn from this person, or no, I wouldn't.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, there are a number of, you know, you said you use a staffing agency, um, there are a number of places you can put your job applications out or your your uh, not your job application yeah. but your um, job posting and you know I would say obviously again it depends on what kind of position mm-hmm. if you're looking for an hourly employee in a restaurant hotel you know a retail store something like that, uh, actually I found that Facebook works mm-hmm. really well for that if you put the right ad yeah. out. Don't yeah you
1: you have to attract the right people absolutely you have to know what they're going to be looking for, and so we pay more than any other school yeah starting we offer opportunity for advancement because I want somebody who's on yep. who is who is drawn to the opportunity for advancement yeah and you know benefits of time off and and addressing so our class sizes are twelve yeah when Many teachers are dealing with class sizes of 30 and 40 kids and they're frazzled and can't do their job. Yeah. Ours are 12. Yeah. And so we put that on recruiting materials. Hey, this is the dream job.
0: Well, and, and yeah, and I think if you're out there, it might be worth the investment of hiring someone to pre screen. I know after my debacle of 75 and three days in yeah. Syracuse, we actually talked the company into uh, employing an organization called Snag Job mm-hmm. that basically they have a profile. Something that's like and it's lengthy. It takes them about 15 minutes yeah. to fill this out online, and then it sends us back. Highly recommended, yeah. recommended, not recommended. You know, and if they don't fill out the entire application, we don't get it. And there yeah. are some people they can't sit there for 15, 20 yeah. minutes and fill something out. So I would say if you can, aff- I, I don't even say if you can afford. I'd say invest in yeah. some sort of a pre-screening process. Well, especially
1: um, if you're a small business. And you're only hiring one or two people. Right. They are going to have very much uh, influence on the success of your business. Yeah. That's probably the most important decision you'll make in your business. Right. Absolutely. And so it is worth any investment. Like you're talking about highly recommend, recommend. I wouldn't even take the recommend. Absolutely. That's I want what we the did. cream. We took the highly, highly that's recommended. That's all we took. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: And, and if you've ever sat down and looked through a stack of applications, yeah. maybe you're saying, I can't afford to, and I'm, I, maybe you say, I'm good at hiring, so you want to go through the applications yourself. Yeah. So then you need to have a process of how do you weed those out. Yeah, because definitely. Because some of them are pretty obvious, this person's not going to work well, here. Well,
1: in teaching, most, almost every, if not every teacher, has a master's degree in teaching. Yeah. And yeah. so that qualification isn't what differentiates. And so I have just a handful of things that I'm looking for. Sure. Uh, three that I always, I always include a team because it's so important of getting other perspectives. Because sometimes, like you said, you can kind of make try to make somebody fit, but somebody else on the team says, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. I noticed this, 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 and this. Right. And so I think that's helpful. And then I always instruct the team, um, we want three traits. We're looking, are they hungry? Mm-hmm. Do they really want this job? Mm-hmm. And so we end up hiring a lot of newer teachers with less experience. Yeah. But, number two, are they humble, yeah, because a prideful, arrogant, I always say, I'm the only one that is you know gets to have that uh <laughs> skill set, and yeah. it you know, and if you have humble people, yeah, it's not all about them, yeah, it just makes the camaraderie so For much sure. easier, and then the third thing is, are they smart, yeah, I like four point oh people yeah. I'm not a four point oh person, right, but I like people who are
0: smart. Well, particularly as teachers. Yes. <laughs> and
1: that they know the subject that they're teaching. And they, to me, that demonstrates that they know how attention to detail and effort and working hard, they know what that is. Right. And it's not to say I won't hire. That's not the only test, but I always look for that line item on the, and if they don't put their GPA, I will ask them. Yeah. Because yeah. I know what a B looks like and how to get a B. Yeah. And that's not the level of effort I'm looking for in a right. company. Right. So.
0: Well, like I said, I mean, to our audience, uh, certainly, you know, John's involved in charter school, so he's looking for people that are going to educate. Right. And so that's, yeah. a, that's a, a level yeah, of true. employer, employ, employee that you need. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, I think a lot of these things that you're saying would apply to anyone that's hiring high-level employees. Yeah. Um, but I also want to address those of you that are looking yeah. for the hourly employee, because honestly, that can be even more challenging yeah. because then when you're going to get a lot more applicants, yeah. you know, there's not as many people that have a master's degree as there are that people are looking to work at Taco Bell or, you know, the quality Inn or whatever. Yeah, I
1: would still say if they're hungry. Absolutely. That's a good sign. If they're humble is a good sign because yep. they'll receive correction. Yep. They'll receive training smart you know depends on the job depends on the job and i think
0: i think that's why i say you have to determine in your mind yeah what what, the what the quality employee looks like so for me like when i was a hotel if you don't know
1: what you're looking for the chances are you're you're not not going to find find it it,
0: exactly so when i was a a hotelier you know when i was looking for in a housekeeper was 100 percent different than what i was looking for in a front desk agent yes definitely you know so one you need to know
1: the profile we've actually talked about this absolutely as i've refined my practices is I I use the paradigm of relational and responsible. Yeah. And you use the paradigm of task-oriented versus service-oriented, which is the same thing. You have to know this position is a task job. Right. And if I hire a relational person for this job, they're going to hate it. Exactly. And, you know, and there are jobs that are task. If you're in the business office crunching numbers, you need to be task-oriented. If you're keeping track of receipts... But if you're going to be the face of the organization, dealing with parents and dealing with students, you've got to have a good balance of those. Absolutely. And so I'm looking for someone. So my interview questions are trying to find: Do they have this balance? Right. And right. so if you can find, if you know what you're looking for, right. What the position is going to require to be successful, right. Then you recruit for that specific skill set.
0: Right. So I, I want to move into the selection. We talked a little about recruiting, but now the selection process. Mm-hmm. So. So on, on that uh, note, I would say, you know, don't go into an interview with somebody without a, a written job description uh, in your hand. And not that yeah. you have to give that to them. You might, but... If you have the job description, you, sh- you should have written it or at least revised it enough to where it's your job description because it's your expectation. Well, I would and even then,
1: say even your posting for the position yes. should be appealing to a certain type of person because Absolutely. you know what that 100%, is.
0: 100%. 100%. Yeah. And you know we talked about the five stages of development. The first stage every employee goes to is the forming stage where they're forming opinions. Yeah. That happens from the moment they see your ad. Yeah, they're forming opinions about you. But I think going to the interview, knowing what the job looks like. Mm-hmm. So like for me, when I was hiring housekeepers, I had an idea of I need someone that likes working yeah. manual labor. That they're yeah. task-oriented. They maybe have a little OCD tendencies. Yeah. They're going to be attention to detail. Yeah. But with a, with a front desk agent, I was actually looking usually for people who didn't necessarily have hotel experience because yeah. I knew I was going to want something a little different, and people that were full of personality. Yeah. And so I can teach a computer. I can't teach personality. And yeah. so I'm looking for someone. So all my questions were tailored around pulling out their personality, mm-hmm. seeing if they can relax and joke a little bit. But the interviews were two different, and, uh, two different ways. And so I think the takeaway is, if you're listening, is that don't interview anybody until you know exactly what you're looking for. Like mm-hmm. Write that out. And if you don't have job descriptions for your employees, then just stop everything right now. Right. And go get, you can go online and Google job description for... Yeah. restaurant employee and then tweak it to your
1: yeah but see that's where you it really has to start with self-awareness sure because you have to know what you do well what your weaknesses are and to staff your weaknesses if you don't know what those are you know if you think you bat a thousand at every aspect of the job that you don't need anybody but if you realize hey i have a gaping hole here yeah that's the profile that i'm looking for you know and so one of the best questions that i ask and it's really if they don't answer this question in a in a acceptable manner they're not going to get the job right and my question that i always you know lead with or maybe two three questions in is when are you at your best yeah and most people it amazes me have never thought about that yeah and what i'm driving at with that is because sometimes I have to give a follow-up and explain what I mean by that is, when do you feel like when I'm doing this, my strengths are just accentuated, right. brought to the surface? Right. And and sometimes I still get a deer-in-the-headlights look, and I, oh, yeah. I just say, you know, some people thrive in an emergency room. Yeah. I can <laughs> think of no place I would less rather be than working in an emergency <laughs> right. room. right. But that really, they thrive in crisis yeah and they keep their head they're t- you know they know how to follow protocol and so i think it's very helpful for them if they can quantify and paint a picture unrelated to even what we're doing here when are you at your best right and then i think of what the job is and is does that um fit that yeah and then my follow-up question is always when are you at your worst yeah do they have any self-awareness to know yeah. because if I know when they're at their worst is a primary job function of this position? Yeah. This is not going to work.
0: Right. Um, well I do something similar in that I always ask what is your greatest strength? Yeah. And I don't say it yeah, as an employee. Like yeah. just tell me what's your greatest strength. What is yeah. your you know, and it might not be I said it might not be related to this job. Yeah. That's fine. Just tell me what's your greatest strength. Yeah. And everyone that causes them to stop for a second like yeah. well i thought i was talking about being a you know so they have to think some people know it right off the top but then the question that always gets them to stop is very similar to yours is what is your biggest weakness yeah and it's amazing how many people say i can't really think of any yeah and to me to I, me that's not yeah, humble exactly and if you don't recognize a weakness you just told me you're not working on it yeah and i said everyone has them mm-hmm. and the difference between people that know they have them and people that don't is the people that don't even know they have them are not working to improve them. Yeah. And I said, so, and I, I tell people, I don't care if you tell me your, your weaknesses. I don't like to get up out of bed in the morning. Yeah. I tend to be late all the time. At least I know, hey, you're working on that. Yeah. You know, it's a weakness. And so you're improving upon it. And people are so afraid to expose any kind of weakness or, or they haven't thought about it. And so there's a lack of self-awareness. And you know this about me for a long time, but I've always had a tremendous value on self-aware people. Yeah. I can appreciate just about anybody. Like, I'm a I'm a man of the people. I like to be around all kinds of people. I've never had a difficult time getting along. But I always appreciate someone that just is aware of yeah. who they are. They don't walk in the room and see themselves differently than everybody well, that's else why sees I, them.
1: I think the key to an interview is they come in, like you said, kind of wanting to put their best foot forward. And so questions, if you can kind of come around the back door that they don't know what your angle is so they yeah. can answer honestly. Yeah. That's why I found I used to ask strength and weakness. Yeah. But then I found myself saying, when are you at your best? I like that. I like that. And then how I ask the weakness question is, what do you tend to avoid? Yeah. You know, here's different jobs and what are you going to push to the back? Yeah. So it's not saying, what are you not good at and why do I not want to hire you? It's just saying, hey, and how I try to... uh, calm them is to say listen my job is to put you in most of the situations that you're going to be successful at yeah and if possible to avoid these yeah. granted we're all going to have jobs we don't want to do but i'm trying to avoid and so i'm appealing to hey do you yeah. want to work a job where you don't have to do things you're not good at yeah then i'm, I'm trying to get you there yep and you know like ultimately that. if i can vet that and then another one i ask is Um, I always ask on a scale of one to 10, how organized are you? Yeah. I can't deal with disorganized people for too long. Yeah. And ironically, nine out of 10 people say eight. Oh really? Nine out of 10 say eight. Do you
0: ask them to give you an example of why they would rate themselves at that? So then my next. I do that with communications. So then
1: another question I'll ask is when I, when they say eight is I'll say, well, how many emails are in your inbox right now? (laughs) If there's more than 10, you're not an organized person. Yeah. You know, and then I have, and I, Uh-oh. I will, I will go look at their car yeah. as I'm walking them out. If I'm there and see is their car organized, Yeah, you know, because these are just signs and, yeah. and I'll ask, what are your organization methods? And another one, when it comes to change, it's hard to really ask that question. But one I've found, um, is ask them, how do you do with technology? Yeah. Because technology is so much about change. Yep. And so I just, a good way to ask you it. know, if you're adapting constantly and learning technology, it's a good sign that you're always, and not necessarily that's even necessary to be a teacher. It's really more about understanding them. Yeah. And, you know, and and so they usually kind of like, well, and I say, well, one is I can turn a computer on 10 is I could program it and make it do what I want to do. Right. Where are you on the spectrum? Exactly. Because in our job, you have to have a certain level of tech and organization. And if you don't, the job's just going to overwhelm you.
0: For sure. Well, there's a, there's a lot of questions I like to ask. I mean, uh, one of the questions I like to ask people, again, I'm, I'm typically hiring for, especially when I was in hotels and restaurants, and I still do hiring for ho- some hotels and restaurants. But I like to ask, tell me about your day today. Yeah. If the interview's in the morning, tell me about the process of what your day was like. To hear them explain, oh, I just got up 15 minutes ago. Because I know for me, and I consider myself a quality employee, I've done well anywhere I've ever gone and worked. But when I, days I had interviewed, like it was a different day. You yeah. get up a little bit earlier, you have breakfast, you, so I kind of want to know what they're, were they anticipating this or they yeah. just kind of roll out? If they're not taking the interview serious, they're probably yeah. not going to take the You're job not seriously. They're hungry. hungry. Yeah. And you know, there's certainly questions, you know, you need to look at your, uh, your state's labor board and there's questions you have to yeah. avoid just make sure you don't yeah. ask certain questions Yeah, in oregon
1: um, you can't ask any you can't do any kind of personality test
0: yeah in the interview process oh, yeah. yeah in michigan you're not even allowed to ask like do you have a reliable transportation yeah <laughs> it's yeah. crazy there's a bunch of them there's actually on the michigan Department of Labor.gov or whatever there's a list of like 100 questions you can't ask. So I would say check those things out, especially in the world we're living in today. Yeah, I have today.
1: a working file of questions. Yeah. And I always ask like two or three of these three questions. But then I just have like a, a list of good questions depending on what their answer is. And there's a particular trait that I'm trying to bring yep. out. I Every interview is different because when they give me a specific answer, I want to dig there a little bit same, more. Same, same. Yeah.
0: I would say always take a list of interview questions with you I always take questions with me. Yeah. Very rarely do I even use, because I know what I'm going to ask. But yeah. if I run into like, a, well, this doesn't go anywhere, I want to have some backup questions. Sometimes yeah. you might forget, well, Oh, that's a good question I need to ask. But then don't stick to the script. If someone says something that, yeah. dig there. And yeah. Get deeper and make them explain themselves. You know, I ask the question about, especially for a front desk agent or a server, I say, tell me your communication skills on a scale of 1 to 10. Yeah. And then when they write we say, okay, well, give me an example of why you would say you're a, an eight or a nine. Yeah. Okay. And I'll give me, and I, I like to do scenario-based questions. I don't ever ask open-ended questions or closed-ended questions, I mean. Yeah. But I'll say, Definitely. except for the rate on a scale of one to 10, you know, that's a, kind of a closed-ended, it's a number. But um, I like to give scenarios. Like, okay, give me a scenario of when you executed really good communication to bring about a result with a customer or a guest. So you know, be prepared. I think there's a couple of errors that people do when doing, especially a lot of interviews. And I've seen a lot of people, because I've sat in with other managers doing interviews and uh, everyone, you got to be relaxed and natural. And so you can't be more nervous than the candidate, but there's two errors that people typically will fall into. And I call them the similarity error and the contrast error. The similarity error is where everyone, a guy or a girl that compares every employee to themselves yeah. are they just like me and try to find people like them and i would say find people that aren't like you
1: staff your weaknesses uh, staff
0: your weaknesses it's basically a lot of people say oh i can relate with that i can yeah. understand it." and so they do that that's an error if you're out there listening like figure out what am i yeah. not as good at and find people that will help fill those gaps the other one is the contrast error this happens particularly when you've interviewed a lot of people in a short amount of time Instead of comparing them to your job description, you start comparing them to each other. So
1: or a previous bad experience. Yeah. yeah.
0: So this Bob, it wasn't my favorite, but he was way better than Susie, and yeah. so I'm going to hire him because I don't want to do more interviews tomorrow. Yeah. And don't get in those, fall into those traps because again, if it takes you 100 interviews to find one, you, you got to do it. You got to yeah, do it.
1: One of the uh, that's definitely and it shouldn't a, take a hundred, but that's definitely a, a potential pitfall. One of the questions that I ask and and I don't know, you know. I don't ask it out loud, but I ask myself, do I like this person? Right. But I want to work with them. Yeah, for sure. Because then it and then it helps you kind of hone in on, if I just don't want to work with this person mm-hmm. now. Uh, and then the other thing I would say to avoid those ditches is by having other people there at the final levels of the interview, they will voice... Like sometimes they'll push back, and I encourage them to push back. Not when the applicants in front of us, but here's what I liked. Here's what I saw. What do you think I might be falling into the what, your terms? I'm not, you know, the that they're the same and that they're similarity different. similarity or contrast. Know? Yeah, and and they'll say, "Well, I saw this." Yeah, and sometimes I'll push back on that. Well, I don't know, and yeah. you know, but ultimately have because you know if the team has to work with them did they like them would they want to work with this would it be motivating for yeah. them to work with this person right or would it be a drain right out of the gate right is usually a good subjective way to decide and you know, sure. like i said if you only have one or two people that you're hiring for a small business you can't afford to have somebody you don't like yeah is is maybe surface and shallow as that is yeah um it's got to, you got to be able to work together as a team.
0: Another thing I like to ask is I always tell people, tell me about your proudest achievement yeah, to date. Yeah. What's the, what's the thing you're most proud of? And, and again, I always try to stress, this doesn't have to be related to this job. Yeah, like yeah, what have absolutely. you done? Cause I'm trying to dig into what makes this person tick?
1: Well, but like, yeah, what? I'm always looking for a leader. Yeah. And so I will ask a similar question is what do you consider your greatest leadership success? Yeah. How do you view leadership? How do you approach it? And, you know, I find that that really helps get to the crux of the matter.
0: Yeah, and if you're listening, there's a million questions. And I know John and I both have an extensive list of questions that we've asked and that we do ask. And if you'd like, to, if you'd like that list, you can email us at noeasywayoutpodcast at gmail.com. I'd be happy to share those with you. Um, we can't go over those, all of those on the podcast today. But, you know, when you go into an interview, go with a job description. Know what, know what you're looking for, 100%. Don't do the interview until you know what you're looking for. Uh, You need to be able to to delineate the difference between a good interviewer and a good hire. Like you have to be able to tell the difference. You got to be able to find questions that will help push through the smoke and really get down to someone that's just kind of good with words and someone that's actually going to be good. You
1: know, let me just throw one more because I think there are a handful of questions that really are effective. Is One is, um, would I want to work for this person? Yeah. And... It's a subjective way for us to cut through kind of the facade mm-hmm. and say, "Yeah, I could see myself taking orders from this person and yeah. working for them." That's a good indicator that they have some character right. and some substance that you respect them. Yeah. Versus, I don't respect this person. Yeah. And for I, sure. if if they told me what to do, instantly I would be thinking about why I don't want to take advice from them yeah. because of this glaring.
0: Well, and I would say this too. You you heard John say earlier. I can usually tell within five minutes if I'm going to hire someone. And one of the things I learned a long time ago is the moment you realize you're not hiring this person, don't interview anymore. Yeah, and the interview. Like, don't go through the process. It'll it'll drain you. Yes. It'll make you take less time on the next person. So I've had interviews that literally lasted three minutes. Like this, I just this I knew, is
1: why speed dating is a thing. Right, right. Because you can tell in 30 seconds sometimes. Exactly this is not love at first concerned.
0: sight <laughs> yeah. yeah no i mean i can my first question every time is i introduce myself like, tell me a little bit about yourself that's always where i start yeah and sometimes that's all it takes yeah. you know you know it's like oh yeah I don't know, really. they can't tell you anything about themselves I so well obviously that yeah so um you know like i said be prepared have your list of questions Know what you're looking for. If, if, know what your traits that you're looking for. Like I said, you know, if you're looking for personality, if you're looking for service-oriented versus yeah. task-oriented, know what that is. That's going to help you. Come up with your questions. Uh, learn what experience is important to you or if experience is important to you, what qualifications they need, if they need qualifications. Look at what kind of education you're going to want them to have. You need to think about all those things. Yeah. You know, some jobs require experience, qualifications, education. Some, some don't, don't yeah. exp- require that at all. So my point is, it's up to you as, especially if you're a business owner, mm-hmm. it's really up to you to determine what you you can make your employees whatever you want.
1: Yeah, this is the, what is most exciting. The, yeah, to me. There's Yeah,
0: there's no pad. You know, my employees have to be this. You make them whatever you want. You know, I have a very different culture here at AZ. You know, we have a quasi schedule, but I don't. I tell my employees come in unless we have a specific task that Come in when you want to come in. Leave when you want to leave. As long as your work's getting done. I'm okay because if we're under a deadline, we set an appointment, we'll do that. But most days, it's like you want to come in at noon and work till 8? That's your call. But that doesn't work for everybody. And I hire people that I know can handle that and not take advantage of it and not be lazy with it. And it's up to you to determine what kind of culture you want. And I'm not saying my way is the only way. That's just what works for us here. And I know, know, like John said, one of the most exciting things is knowing that when you are doing something on your own, You have the opportunity to craft something. Make it something that people like and buy, and everybody just wants to take something out of the box and be like everybody else, and you have an opportunity to be unique.
1: Well, when you think about even the life of Christ, before he selected his 12 apostles, he spent all night in prayer, is that he devoted specific attention to this task, that this is very important. Yeah. Before he started even his ministry, that this was going to be the... the, uh, the key element.
0: Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, we've, we've talked about a lot, you know, after you hire somebody, after you've recruited them, you've selected, all right, this is the person, you know, we t- talk about orientation and I don't want to get too much in this cause I know we're running short on time here, but you know, it's important that once you bring someone that you really take that initial first couple of days to introduce them to the culture you're trying to create, to give them, crystal clear expectations yeah. I and mean, you can't expect what you don't inspect the whole thing but you got to make sure that people know exactly what success looks like to yeah. you if you haven't painted for them this is what a, success, a successful employee looks like then you're going to struggle and then answer their questions quickly mm-hmm. they all have questions make them ask them, get to the, ask them, you know, and and as I'm, or whenever I do orientation, I always spend at least some point of the first day with every new employee. Mm I want my, I want them to hear my words and I want them to hear my vision. And I constantly you have any questions, you know, when I'm training, I uh, explain the task and then I make him explain it back to me. And then I show them the task and I make them show it back to me. Like it seems very basic, but you want to answer their questions so that by the time they get to what I call the norming phase, when they've determined what's normal, that their normal matches your normal. Yeah, so, I agree.
1: I, I try to. I am not this inclined to this by nature. Something I probably learned from you, but is I try to spend the first two weeks with as much time as I can devote with a new employee yeah. to get them up to speed. Yep. Because that saves so many problems. Absolutely.
0: Down Because even your best employees, if you send them, I'm going to put them with one of my trainers, even your best employees, even maybe inadvertently are going to say like, yeah, that's just how John is. Or yeah, that's how, yeah, nobody really cares if you come in late. Yeah. I mean, they say wear name tags, but nobody cares. And I don't, if somebody, you know, settles into the sweet spot, that's okay. But I, at the beginning, I want them to have every single, by the book, heard from me. This is what I expect. Not what joanne expects or not what bob expects. this is what i expect and like i said inevitably i mean i've had some of my best managers trainers and you put them with them and then they just don't take it as no one's going to ever take it as seriously as you do so if you want to have good people there's a there is a process you look at organizations that are surrounded by good people and you think man they're lucky they have all those good people and i'll tell you there's no luck that went involved yeah it, it, there's a process and for me like I said, I spent more time as a manager, uh, as, a, as, a, as an owner. I, I spend more time developing people than really any other thing because, number one, it's one of my strengths. But, number two, I realize that's how I'm going to have success. I cannot be successful unless I have good people, even here at AZ. I mean, I, I just told, and I mentioned this before on, on another podcast, but I've told my, my video guy, Zach, You know, he, we were doing something He goes, Hey, I'm getting better than you at this. And I said, I want you to be better than me at this because I don't enjoy doing it. And I have no problem with him becoming better than me or my graphic designer designing better than me. That's okay. That's good. That's what we Mm -hmm. need to be. And don't be intimidated by that. You know, there's other things that go involved with training and development and that, that's a whole nother podcast we would talk about later. But I think the takeaway today is number one, commit to have good people. If you want to have any level of success, no matter what business... If you're in a business that requires more than yourself, if you're a single-person entrepreneur, then this probably doesn't apply to you. But if you're going to hire anyone, you have to have the right people or the right person. And whatever it takes to get you there, whatever... Uh, you got to come up with a process. you got to determine what that position looks like. And you got to find it. Mm-hmm. you got to create a culture. And it's got to be a winning culture. And you got to go through the process. And even though it seems... Nominal and though it seems Boring and though it seems like it's taken up All of my time uh, Look at some of the things we talked about with the cost Of a bad employee versus the value of a good Employee and take the time and if it takes you A month two months to find that right person then commit to that And like I said at my hotel When you have 21 employees it really Requires that many people to run the hotel and you Get rid of 13 of them so I mean you're running An operation with 9-10 people You know there were so many days Where I had to go in and I had to clean fifteen, twenty rooms myself, or I had to vacuum the hallways or check people in or work the overnight, you know, audit shift. And there were so many times when Man, I just need to get someone in here. I just need to hire a body, like a warm body. And hiring out of desperation is one of the worst mistakes you can make as manager, business owner, entrepreneur. Um, I tell even the companies you work with right now, like, think ahead. Think ahead. You know, summer's coming. It's going to be busier. Start hiring in april and may get them trained that way by the time you hit summer you're at peak because then if you wait and summer hits you like oh man we don't have enough staff now you're just hiring whoever's willing to come work and it ruins your culture and so take the time to do it right any other nuggets on that mr vondoloski
1: yeah just like i said with relationships don't hire the one you can live with hire the one you can't live without yeah reiterate things you said yes just be don't wait till the need is there. You need to anticipate. Absolutely. That. But in our culture of, you know, re- evaluations, ratings, Facebook, social media, you can't afford yep. bad PR. No. Because you were impatient and hired a bad person. No. And people have a bad experience. And, and you
0: had that experience. I've had that experience. Uh, and it does. People go on Facebook and write whatever they want to write and say whatever. And then you just have to kind of recover from it. Yeah. And you have to say, all right, lesson learned. <laughs> um. All right, John. So at the end of it all, what does success look like to you?
1: Uh, I would say um, man's chief end, as the catechism says, what is the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And working from that paradigm of if that's what success is, it's going to change. But then I think, you know, having a good marriage, raising children. um, You know, my desire for my children is that they understand the gospel that they love God's word, that they love God, that they love the church, that they love each other. Those are things that I try to pray for them every day, that they marry well. Right. If I leave a legacy of 12 children who do that in their daily life, that's success.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I was asked this question to all of our guests, but what is your best piece of advice?
1: Well, apart from hiring AZ Business Solutions... That's, yes, that was a wise move. Yeah, that's, wise move. that's always the first where I start. Um, but then I would say just to have an eternal perspective, what well, shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Yeah. And to understand the gospel and eternal life really is transcends any other measure... Yep nothing else matters understanding the gospel that christ died for my sins that my sin is counted to him that by faith his obedience can be counted to me by faith that i can please god not of my own effort but through what jesus christ has done uh if you have that i call it the buttonhole principle if you get that first buttonhole lined up everything else will be fine yep. if that buttonhole is in the wrong hole everything else in your life um just kind of goes downhill after that and um so yes that would be my advice
0: well if you're listening what's unique about john's advice that he gave there is a lot of advice that's been given on the show is good and it applies to some and it doesn't but the advice john just gave applies to everyone and you might be listening well that doesn't apply to me because i'm not a christian or i'm it still applies to you and i would say heed that advice again we're always here to answer your questions if you want to email us but that's excellent advice and it's something that i have also applied to my life and um so john at <clears throat> if anyone's out there listening and they want to know how to contact you whether it be to talk to you about your process if they want to maybe they're in the oregon area and they're looking for a charter school how does someone find john vondoloski and bridge charter academy
1: uh we have a website like anyone else social media uh, www.bridgecharter.com and yeah all the contact information is there and on facebook on facebook LinkedIn. and linkedin uh, Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, just go to the website, contact. It goes to my phone. And, yeah, we're glad to help people succeed.
0: All right. Well, I hope you uh, were inspired today. I hope that you, uh, in this case, taking the easy way out is just uh, going with the status quo. Commit yourself to finding good people. You will have success. And so, John, thank you for being on the show today. We had a great long talk here, and we could talk for longer, but we appreciate having you. I'm sure we'll talk a little more after the podcast. As my mother always said, you can't and never could until you tried. So go out there and try something great today and don't take the easy way out, my friends. We'll see you next time.